I think that the interesting thing to start off with here is uh, we got a out, rugged outdoorsman, a rugged outdoors woman, and then me. Uh, but the rugged outdoorsman's got these like cute little slippers on. The rugged outdoors woman has like great trail runners on, and then I'm wearing fucking Crocs. They're camo Crocs, which I think that counts for something. But uh, yeah, but anyways, we're we're here in Pierce, South Dakota. We're with the Stefan Brothers, and these, these uh, are these are lodge slippers. Are I'm they actually jealous. These? They look you know super who also warm. was wearing these this week? The Medal of Honor recipient. A Medal of Honor recipient? Yeah. Clint Romache? Clint. Rocking the, rocking the lodge slippers, man. It's a thing. Dude, you know what else he was rocking? The fucking fish below the ice that we were spearing. Like, and the pheasant. Holy cow, that guy. Um, I, never, I never got to see that. I'm a little sad. I mean, I saw him with the pheasant, so... Yeah. That was impressive. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, this is... You know, this is the next episode of Free Range American. I'm, I'm your guest host, Marty Scoven Jr. I'm here with Mike Shea. Uh, he's the senior editor of Free Range American. Um, he's really good at rearranging birds and killing things in all manner of ways. And then we've also got Laura Zara, who is an adventurist, outdoors, survivalist. She's been on TV. She's hop trains in Mexico. She finds interesting twigs and rearranges them in pleasing ways. Um, I'm really excited to have both of you, you fine folks on. I'm excited too. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much. Yeah, so I, I think let's let's get right into it. We're on location out, what, about a half hour north of Pierce, South Dakota. And uh, we're with the Stefan Brothers uh, Outfitters. And they are putting us on the ice with a big old hole in it, giving us spears. We're spearing massive fish. And then we're going out in the afternoon and killing, killing pheasants, right? It's been full days, like yeah. nonstop. I can't believe how much we've been able to fit in. It's like stressing because it's, winter and there's not a lot of light. And I feel like I'm exhausted at the end of the day. Yeah. Like the, the day here is wake up at like 5.30 AM, quick breakfast, get out on the ice, fish through the ice until what about 11, come back, lunch, get back out, kill pheasants, and then get back out on the ice again for another couple hours in the evening. Holy cow. Like in, in negative 10 temperatures. Yeah. That first day, negative 17. It's amazing. Yeah. And I'm not like a big, I'm not really big into fishing, but mm. I would take this fishing over a lot of hunting, which I don't think I've ever Dude. said before. Like I love spear fishing, Dude. but when I'm in the water, yes. this is crazy. Yes. This isn't, because you're right. It's more hunting than it is fishing. Yeah. You're, you're not just casting a lure out and hoping to trick some unsuspecting fish. You're waiting for a fish to come in and then murder and you are sticking yeah. a, a freaking pitchfork through it with violence of action. You're like, in it. You're like in it. You're in yeah. that moment and it's like... You, you are can, an active participant yeah. in the food chain. And you can mess it up. Oh yeah, 100%. Who's, who's got a missed shot here this week? Oh yeah, it yeah, happens. Yeah, for sure. It happens. Right? Like it's... it's. On one hand, I think it's easier than I had worked it up in my head as far as spearing a fish through the ice. I was going to be stoked but, if I got one. That was my goal. Was like, I want to get I, one. Man, when Shay... So to give credit where credit's due here, Shay's the one that brought this... This whole idea up. He's known the Stefan brothers for a minute now, right? You did Solid. what a field and stream article on them back yeah. in the day? Outdoor life. Yeah. Outdoor life. Yeah. yeah. And so he brings this up and he's like, hey, Marty, uh, got a cool idea. You said you need more winter content. What do you think about going to South Dakota and spearfishing through the ice and shooting pheasants? Well, when do you want to do that? February. Well, pheasant season ends December 31st. And I 
grew up in South. I grew up an hour, hour and a half east of here. Nobody spearfishes through the like. What are you talking about? Shay's yeah, like, no, yeah. let me educate you. And man, he did. This I, has been amazing. I had no idea it was a thing. Like, yeah. I really, I was like, someone's confused. We're not actually going spearfishing. We're probably just fishing through a hole in the yeah. ice. It's called ice fishing. Yeah. And no, it's actually like, it is. And then I thought it would be some kind of like spear gun. Yeah. And then I see this crazy pitchfork, like Poseidon looking thing. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, there's no way I'm going to be able to throw this thing with enough force to get a fish at the bottom of this, this lake. Like what? And oh, by the way, we're going to, it's like this green color that emanates through this. You're in a shack. And so that was a nice thing, right? Like the cold, right? It's February, it's South Dakota. Texas is in shambles right now. I mean, Texas was having sub-zero. Mm. So you can imagine up here, first it was like negative 17. I think the wind chill was probably in the negative 30s, negative 40s. Like it, it was pretty, like you couldn't be outside barely, right? Um, and then day two, we got above zero a little bit. Today was like, I think we got up to 20 and it was like, oh man, it's only 20 degrees out <laughs> and windy. Weather. And it was like, man, I think I can go out in the sweatshirt today because in comparison, but yeah, you're in a shack, you're in there. Um, there's a hole cut in the ice and these two massive pitchforks, but it's, there's this green, like almost like night vision glow to the water and the That's whole thing. It's wild here. the way the sunlight filters through the ice and how much yeah. you can see because yeah. I don't know. I'm also really glad it was cold because I feel like if it was 40 degrees, being out on that ice would have been really kind of terrifying. Oh yeah. And there's already like, uh, again, I think, I think for the most part, we're like, okay, it's ice. You're driving vehicles and you're, you're fine. But then man, that ice, if, if, if you have never been out on ice, especially <laughs> ice over a river, because a lake is a little bit more quiet. But a river that's actively, and we're only a little ways up from the Oahe Dam, so that water is moving. Mm-hmm. You're you're, you're going to hear what that ice is doing, and it doesn't always give you the best feeling in the world <laughs> when you're sitting on top of it. Yeah, but as as we learned, when the ice is making noise and cracking and popping, mm-hmm. it's growing ice. It's when it's silent. That's when you have problems. You're losing ice. So I I learned that on day one, and it helped when the the thunder like crack happened right right under my feet. Oh yeah, you, know? you feel it. Yeah, like you, it's when it happens in your little uh, shack there. Like you feel it. Who had the pop happen right in? Did, was that you? No, someone mm-hmm. had the ice pop and like it exploded in the shack. Oh, we definitely had some. some yeah, I wouldn't say it explode, but you could definitely see the expansion of the ice. Like it was like a little grenade went off inside the very clear ice. And then there was the spider web from it. And it was loud too. Like it kind of made me jump. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, um, this isn't your first time doing extremely crazy stuff outside, Bora. (laughs) No, it's my second. Your second. That's all. (laughs) No, there's, there's definitely been a couple more. I mean, I spent a lot of time in the cold, but I've gotten away from it actually like the past... I don't know, maybe like five years. I haven't been spending as much time in the cold. Mm. So I just moved back to Montana this summer and I'm like, just diving back in because it's like a whole nother level of preparedness and being on your game to be in the cold and not, you know, die somehow. Yeah, I mean, Montana's a pretty good place if you're trying to push yourself in that way. For sure. Is that why you ended up there? Is that why you moved there? I just love Montana. It's so pretty. There's lots of antlers there. Lots of antlers. <laughs> so, so she says that, but as we learned on the ice, you antler hunt, what, 30 days at a rip? You go into the wilderness and the pack out antlers. So mm-hmm. she, we say antler hunting, like, oh, look, I found this in the field. Yeah. That's not what you're doing. You're, yeah. you're doing pretty epic trips. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely like, it's, how do I even explain it? It is an experience for me. Like I can't, I can just go for the day, but to be completely honest, I don't really feel like I get into that psychotic mode that I need. So it's like full immersion, like going out there and being in it. And I just don't like going with anyone because then I can just really be a psycho and not have someone judge me mm-hmm. because I don't want people to see me like that. <laughs> I'm, like, like, barrel. I'm like running my feet off. There's yeah. blood, like toenails falling off. Like it gets weird. Like how to <laughs> unpack that for me? Because I'm you're like, there's blood, toenails I'm, are I'm falling like off. Right so now. there's I'm so like, it's bad. <laughs> there's gremlins. There's like, what, what are Demons the weird things coming that out happen? of my soul? Like, like Break it down for me, like day 15 of 30. Oh, what is I'm going on? I'm trees, you know, like, no. I mean, well, um, yes. So but, maybe talk some trees. I've talked no, some trees it just, I just, I just go for it. Like, I'll literally mm-hmm. be running and I'll fall and I'll get up and I'll start running again. And mm-hmm. it probably looks like I am just completely out of my mind. So we're seeing the very well-composed Laura Zara here. Yeah, but the more I but talk about like it. wild Laura Zara. I'm getting flustered right now. Because I'm talking about it and I'm getting into that mode where I'm like, oh God, I can feel like the non-human It's like the ultimate out. fight or flight, like be in nature and yeah. just, again, ultimate predator. Totally. Like analytical mind, thinking mind, speaking mind. I mean, I forget how to talk when I'm out there. Like when I come back, I, like the first people I see, I'm like, they must think I'm the biggest weirdo because I am not talking the, normally. I, mean, I forget words, you know? When you think about that, it's, though, it's there weird. there is something to that of being completely, like, humans are social animals. Right. Like, there is something to, it's like that same thing you hear about prisoners when they get put into isolation for too long. Like, they go literally insane. I imagine being out in the wilderness by yourself for three days, no other human contact. You, I mean, there's no way that you don't, at some point, start to be like, you know, you come, your first human contact after 30 days has got to be extremely weird. Awkward. Yeah. Uncomfortable. I'm weirded out. Like, I feel like I am not communicating right. I forget how to socialize. I don't really know where to start. And, and you know, how, how are you? What do you, how do I explain how I am? You know, like everything I just went through and you just are hiking along the trail on your way in and I've been out here for a month and I'm on my way out and I'm dealing with this psychotic breakdown of realizing that I'm going to have to go into civilization and hear my phone start dinging and all the messages and then I have to get back into texting and I have to get back into phone calls in this world that hasn't existed for me. It's like, okay, a month, you know, it's not that long, but when you're out there, you're just so in it that, I don't know. I mean... The way I'm, I'm talking about it, it sounds like it's not healthy, but I think it's like a really good thing well, to be let's, able to do. Let's, let's, let's look at that for a second. You didn't just wake up one day and decide, oh, I'm going to go walk in the woods and collect antlers for 30 days by myself. You know, right. Tell, you, right. you mentioned this to me earlier, your first deer when you were a college kid. How, yeah. how, did, how did that go down? How did you get interested in this anthropo- anthropological yeah. experiment? Totally. I mean, so the first deer um, that I helped kill was very hands-on. It was um, basically during college, um, there was there were deer that needed to be culled and um, I helped out on a hunt and we had to get a deer down before it kind of ran into this really fancy picnic area that all the college kids would be like having fun picnic lunches at. So ended up getting on this deer next to a fence and, you know, we cut its throat open and the scream stopped coming out of the deer's mouth and started coming out of its throat. And I'd never seen something die in that way. And it was 
really raw and really real. And I'd been a vegan before then. So this was all extremely new to me and I didn't really know how I felt about it. And I just remember in that moment of like dealing with this life and death and, you know, like this honor and reverence, but at the same time, kind of like wondering if I was a monster, I looked up through the fence and there was a road there and there was the girls crew team, lacrosse team, I forget what it was, running down the street, kind of like, you know, all cheering each other on. And on this other side of the fence, on top of a dead deer, realizing that I was having a very different college experience. Um, yeah, that is the most extreme reversal <laughs> from veganism. <laughs> like, Shay had a really good story. He he helped uh, some neighbors out, I think, right? Yep, that yep. They're vegans, brought them out yep. hunting, really cool. Mm-hmm. But like that version is like yeah, holy so, cow. So what was the what was the convert like what happened that made you say yeah. maybe I want to try something else that led to like throat slittings? You know, like that's like you don't go from tofu <laughs> to Tuesday. attacking deer like with I'm a knife to... like if overnight. You're in the throat like what, what happened? There's really just like I'm either gonna go be a hunter or uh, a pirate, right? Yes. Like. I'm yeah, glad yeah, you didn't yeah. say serial killer because it really could have gone either way. There's just not enough serial killers. I feel like there's more pirates, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's it's, more pirates, And definitely. piracy is, is legal as far as I know. So, unlike serial killers. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Right. All right. Yeah. Well, good to know I have a legal option. Um, In international waters, you know? Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. Well, it kind of happened when I started traveling more and realizing that I was really self-righteous as a vegan and... I was the kind of vegan that you hate because I would go out and be like, you're killing things and you're so uneducated. You don't know what's going on. And really it came from a place of being like, all right, well, I love animals, but also it's just, you know, irresponsible to kill animals when you can just eat plants. And I didn't realize before I traveled, like where that food came from. Cause you don't think about that. You're like, no, you like, you buy it. It's great. Like it comes from a happy little farm where there's like, you know, Mom and pop out there watering their plants. Yeah, no, like you can't provide. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Really happy place. So I started seeing like what the farming actually looked like. And I started thinking about the land that was deforested and the animals that wouldn't have habitat. And then how many deer did my tofu truck hit on the way to arrive wherever I was? And I'm in New England and I'm eating strawberries in January. Like, what does that take to make it happen? And I realized that basically it was all bullshit. And I was telling myself something to make myself feel good based on the knowledge I had. I mean, I was doing the best I could with the information I had, but I realized it really didn't come from a reality that I was witnessing in the world. And it didn't fit with what I felt and saw. And so I kind of had to restructure that. So I started picking up roadkill, as you do. Um, Logical next step. Logical next step. Um, So... I, you know, I would see these animals get hit on the highway. Is that though, like, I, I wonder though, because, I, you know, a lot of people who want to get into like hunting and fishing, you almost need like a mentor to tell you. But if you're kind of on this personal journey where you're like, all right, I went and killed this deer, slit its throw. I want to do more like this, but there's not really somebody around to teach me how to shoot a gun or shoot a bow or cast a reel. So the next kind of thing, is it just by straight ease of access is roadkill? Is that the thought process or? Well, it wasn't my, I mean, I started picking up roadkill because I felt like it was this waste. And I actually started doing that in high school, which my parents- While still a vegan? Yeah. So I wasn't eating it then, but it's just because I didn't know how and I didn't know if I could. But um, yeah, I've really 
like I watch like any serial killer documentary I've ever seen. I'm like, I can't believe no one turned me in because that was weird to do as a kid. I see, but it came from a place of just not wanting it to go to waste. Mm -hmm. So I started picking it up. I got my first roadkill. It was a roadkill beaver. It was Easter Sunday. I had my sister drive me and her Camaro to go pick up this dead beaver. We went into the woods. Um, I had a pickaxe, a pickle jar, and a really dull knife. And um, I just like skinned it the best I could. And it was really just, it felt natural. Like it was, it made sense. You know, it wasn't like that confusing. Like I didn't do the greatest job in retrospect, but I got a chunk of hide off and I got some brains in a pickle jar. So I knew there was a thing called brain tanning. Mm. This is before YouTube, before Google. I'm like, I'm just going to figure it out. I'm so, starting to think that you weren't the typical vegan. Well, probably. I mean, I did it with love. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it was not like I was savagely like, I want to make this dead beaver into something for me because I want to use this animal. It was like, I'm honoring the animal by, it's like a really yeah. hippie outlook that I had on it, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of started messing around with that. And then I was like, well, I can eat this too. You know, like it smells like meat. Doesn't smell bad. I mean, there were some roadkill that I picked up that definitely, <laughs> you know, your nose kind of knows. Like mm-hmm. you smell something, it doesn't smell good. You probably can't eat it. So, um, yeah, started eating it. It's a natural progression, right, guys? Like this makes sense. I'm normal, right? <laughs> Uh, no, I don't think you're normal, but it's in, you're you're not normal in like the coolest way possible. So like that's I think that's like the highest like who wants to be fucking normal if nor if if normal means not going out and killing animals, getting your own food, contributing to the, you know our the food system in the most natural way possible. Like if that's not normal, I don't want to be normal. You know? I mean, yeah, I I agree. I think that. I don't know if you just do what, like do the best you can with, with what you have, with the knowledge you have. And I don't know. I mean, what is normal anyway? Yeah. Yeah. And you were, you were thinking about it. You were thinking about the food and where it comes from and like where you arrived in that is kind of almost inconsequential, right? You were, you were dealing with this stuff. You weren't just eating shit food and stuffing donuts in your face and drinking crap. And like, you know, you, you wanted to make a, 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 a different choice, a healthy choice. And it doesn't sound like you had anyone around you who hunted and fished and could be like, hey, let me show you deer hunting or whatnot. So you you did the best you could with what you had, right? Totally. Yeah. And it, you know, it all like made sense in my mind. And I don't know. I mean, I think we've gotten away so far like from what it is to be a human. And I feel like these are just really human things. And, you know, we all like to build forts when we're kids. We all like to, you know, it's shelter building. Like the stuff that I do, it's kind of like, to me, it just feels really normal. And I think that it's kind of these ideas we put on ourselves about what's right and what's wrong. And it's a lot of it's not based on what we're actually feeling inside. It's based on like culturally what's okay or whatever demographic we think we belong to and what's acceptable in that small margin. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I realized I was never going to fit into that little box people wanted to put me in. So it's like, all right, how can I have my actions aligned best with how I feel and what I think. And really, that's just kind of what my life became was like following that. That's a really profound place to arrive at that a lot of people, if they ever do arrive there, it's not until much later in life. 
You know, mm-hmm. like to be able to be like, no, I'm going to go out and do me. I don't need to necessarily fit into a, you know, the circle that society has drawn around me. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really incredible. I mean, I think it was like a necessity for me because I always wanted to make everyone happy. And I spent my childhood trying to make other people happy, but it was at the expense of my own happiness. Mm-hmm. So I was so worried about everyone else and what they wanted me to do and be that I was kind of miserable. And it's not like I had a miserable, terrible childhood. Like my parents were amazing. My family was great, whatever. But it was more than that. I just felt like I could never be myself. And it was just as soon as I started doing that, it was not even a a question. It was like, oh, I'm happier. I'm therefore healthier. And now I'm like a better person to be around. So it's, you know... It might seem selfish, but it it doesn't end up being that way. When you uh, when you go out in the woods for these like thirty day things, is there ever the thought that like I'm just not going to go back? Never. Well, oh, to, to society. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, what I thought it? you were like, oh, this is my last trip out here. I'm like never going. No, back. no, no. I, no. Like, I mean, no. like you're already out there. I imagine you get past day three. Oh. If you can make it to day four, living like that. You can make it to day 40 or day 400, right? Oh, I'm not kidding about the panic attacks on my way back. Like I literally, last time I was in there, I pretty much had, like I had to stop. I was like hyperventilating on the trail because I was almost out. You know, I had maybe five miles left and I was like thinking about the moment that I would be back and I'd be driving a car and it was going to seem like it was going really fast. And, you know, I was going to be like having all these people that needed me or wanted me for different things. and it was the most horrifying feeling because it's not that I don't love people and that I just want to be by myself all the time. It's that being able to exist in the moment feels so much better. It's like you can breathe and having to be worrying about schedules and what day it is and you know all these little details that we don't think about until we're separate from them it's like when you finally get to take that breather and you're not accountable 24-7 because you have this phone that needs to be on you and charged or you have to apologize about it. It's like, if you're around it all the time, sure. But as soon as you get away and like you see how that is and it just feels so much better because you get to be present for whatever you're doing. And it's awesome. Maybe I'm just bad at that. But having to balance all of these different things is emotionally exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you're unique in feeling that way at all. Like it's, oh, fuck. <laughs> I just got a major cramp, oh, no. hammy cramp. Oh. Holy cow. Oh, Uh-oh. no. Oh, man. Okay. Let's, let's bring this back in. Maybe. Oh, oh God. Oh. What's happening? Yeah. Dude, maybe maybe some water. Hydrated. Drink some water. That tired of the headache. See, I had a headache earlier when yeah. we came off the ice. And, uh, Got one. I, yeah. yeah, yeah, I got a water. But um, I got this monster. I was like, I don't think I'm... I mean, sure, maybe I could have been drinking a little bit more water over the course of the week. Yeah. I don't think I'm... I have been drinking some water. We haven't had time. We've been doing yeah. everything else. So if you busy. look away for one minute, you're going to miss the fish. Like, don't yeah. drink water. Yeah, exactly. And so I didn't think... I was like, "There's maybe I could drink a little bit more water, but I don't think I'm dehydrated. I think my hammy is saying something. I'm like nervous to... I'm nervous too. So I got... Okay. I got... I all got, right, all right. <laughs> I got a buddy and a big duck hunt with him. Big guy, 300 pounds, you know, just an absolute killer. And he gets these cramps. And so we were staying at his place once and we're going in. He's like, oh, I'm getting a cramp, I'm getting a cramp. 
he starts rolling around on the floor. And it was like so odd because he was like such a killer and such like a dude. And he's, he's flipping around on the floor and we're all just standing there looking at him like, Helpless. what the fuck is going on here? And he turned up and he went, don't look at me. It's <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? It's vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> this moment of vulnerability. Yeah, uh, yeah. I have no problem with just putting like, yeah, my like, I think, you know, the physical things that go wrong with people are the most hilarious things. Um, when, you know, in, in an innocent way, I, I mean that, right? Like the caveat, there, like <laughs> terrible things happen to people. I don't wish that on anybody. But like pulling a hammy while you're in the middle yeah. of a podcast, like yeah. that's funny, you know? Yeah. Big dude, like crying for mommy, like uh, when he pulls something, like that's kind of funny, you know? I don't know. <laughs> we, we remind him of it every chance we get. Yeah. As you should. Um, Your own body goes against you. Yeah, 100%. Well, you were saying like you go out on these things and it's like you're, there's skin peeling off your feet. There's toenails coming out. Yeah. There's, I'm, I'm sure like, do you like shave your head before you go out into this or do you keep like, Oh, I whole... come back with like a beaver tail in the back because my hair will just knot together and literally yeah. like be one dreadlock in the back. So, so do you do you pack in a bunch of food or do you pre-eat? Do you try to bulk up? Oh, do you yeah. how do you how do you handle like calorie I'm in the management? Phase right now, um, I that's do. Probably I, you're hitting I that apple crisp. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I'm like, give me another piece of pie. Like, I yeah. need it. Yeah, I try to go in um, with. I mean, I used to try to go in with one pound. I usually lose a pound a day, mm-hmm. so I'd go in for like, you know, if I can do a pound a day. But like, gaining thirty pounds is really hard on your body. Um, Losing 30 pounds is too, but um, I bring in a massive amount of food and I just carry it in. And I mean, I consume so many calories when I'm out there, but I go for like the calorie dense food. Like I'm not going to fill my bag up with just dehydrated food because a lot of those don't have like a massive amount of calories, they have like a normal person amount of calories, but I want like all the calories and I want it to be condensed. I don't care if it's heavy. I want it to be like condensed so that I can fit it in my pack. So what is that? Like, what are what are you packing? Butter. Butter. <laughs> I love butter. Um, cheese, salami. Those are like my three staples. Really? Yeah. And they're just like, you get a lot of bang for your buck. And they're delicious. And you can like melt them all together and make this like fatty yeah, stew. So fat, fat, and protein. Yeah, and no, and carbs too, because you want to like really make sure that you're like having the sugar too to like keep the weight on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally get behind a butter-heavy, salami-heavy yeah. cheese. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I like that. But what? like, you're not excited about cheese? No, I'm excited about cheese in certain contexts. Like, I love a good cheeseburger. Cheese on my omelet, though, not a fan. Hard pass. Do you agree with the? How do you no, feel about? No, no, okay, I'm all, cool. I'm all about the cheese. Then. Cheese plate. I'm, I'm, I'm like a strategic right user of cheese. cheese. You know, all the cheeses. Yeah, all the cheeses. Yeah, I'm not saying it's like a nuclear weapon or anything like that. You don't have to be that picky. But it's definitely like, hey, you know, don't drop the 500-pound bomb without thinking it through first. And cheese is a 500-pound bomb for me. I mean, I'm like kind of like, you know, you do you, be your authentic self. And I'm also like, but you don't like cheese? Yeah, but um, I I mean, I could totally like, if if you put me out there with just butter, salami, cheese... I'm not going to complain about right. that. Like okay. that is not oh, so a- far outside of, again, as long as I don't have to also put cheese on an omelet at any point, like I don't like the idea of cheese on an omelet. Okay. In or near <laughs> an omelet is, Specifically. yeah. Specifically. Yeah. 
But right. you know, salami Noted. and and um, and I imagine you do you find like wild eggs or like what are you doing <laughs> to supplement your the totally. food that you pack in while um, you're out there? Like it's spring, so a lot of times I'll find mushrooms, which is really mm-hmm. great. And then um, fireweed is also starting to grow, and I'll like throw that in my stew pot. Um, I also bring a base meal of like some kind of crappy like pre-made rice something or like yeah. pasta whatever. Which I mean. I'd love a healthier alternative, but I have to say the calories that's in one of those little packs and how small it is, it's it's really convenient. Mm-hmm. So um, so I'll just mix it all together and whatever I find that day, um, great. Yeah. If I get a fishing license, go out, get some fish, I can throw that in the pot. It's like, you know, getting bird eggs. I don't really think that would be super legal. And But, you know, I've done that in survival situations in other countries for sure. How many countries have you been to? Oh, gosh. That, you, that you're what? doing survival stuff? Like, um, Maybe like 15? Jeez. I don't know. Like diverse different types of environments? and Yeah, I've never, I've actually never been to Europe, but Southeast Asia, Australia, South America, Central America. Where's the Canada. most challenging place to go live this kind of lifestyle? The cold. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, in some regards, like food is actually a lot easier, but um, you know, it, your your game has to be dialed because hypothermia is is going to kill you way faster than starvation. So mm-hmm. if your game's not dialed, you know, you could get in trouble real fast. A lot less margin for error. Well, exactly. For sure. Yeah. You don't get a fire. It's like in the jungle, you're like, oh, I'm going to be miserable. And, you know, the tundra, you're just dead. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, we saw those temperatures when we got out on the ice that first yeah. day. Where it was like, it's crazy. You're out there for two minutes with all this stuff on. If yeah. you have a little bit of exposed skin, you're very aware of it. Totally, like, right off the bat. Totally, it's not. Though, easy though we had the geo trackers with the yes. heat, which was yes. nice. It you know, was nice. We could get out of that pretty quickly. Propane heater in in the shack was was pretty cute. Exactly, too. exactly. So it was bad, but at no point did I feel cold. Because if I was outside in that, I was moving and I was wearing the right stuff. And then when we were still, we were, we were, we had heat, you know? I think moral of the story is if you're going to go into a survival situation in the Arctic, bring a geo tracker. Yeah, that's where I was going with that. I've always said that. Completely. Completely. Yeah. <laughs> geo tracker, food, water. Mm-hmm. You've, you're good. Yeah, you three got essentials. It. You can bring three items. That's it. Yeah, 100%. That just one, like just geo tracker. Entirely reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've done some, some TV stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically Naked and Afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not the first person I've talked to that's been on that show. Oh, and, small uh, world. Yeah, a little, little shout, shout out to Kayla Cummings. Oh. And um, so she's I interviewed her a little, a little while back. Yeah, she's also up there in New Hampshire. Uh-huh. Just a little bit further up in the mountains. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so she was interesting to talk to about this. I'm curious about your perspective. Mm-hmm. And um, like one... Getting into that off the bat, like, did you apply to this, or did they, or did you have a reputation that they were like, "Hey, we need to go get this yeah. crazy fucking chick that's like going to the woods for thirty days at a time. She would be perfect to <laughs> just take her clothes away and then do all the same stuff." Well, yeah. So I didn't actually like, was not active on social media, didn't have any sort of public presence, and it was the first season, so it was like right in the very beginning, and they were calling around different survival schools and. 
basically, I guess my name came up a couple of times and they somehow found me at my friend's house on top of a mountain. He still to this day doesn't have a cell phone. They called on a landline. So it was really weird that I was at his house, his landline rang and I had a phone call asking if I'd be willing to talk more about this show. And they probably left out the naked part they in the first did. in the first call. It's it like, was crazy. Hey, it's great. It's gonna be survival. You're gonna go into the woods. Yeah. We have no idea know? what it's gonna be called. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not Second so meeting. sure. So what do you think about Sans clothes? Oh, it was just slid in there. Like there's a small, there's a possibility that you might not have anything, like, you know, no. Nothing, maybe no shoes, like maybe no clothes. No cell maybe phone, no, yeah, yeah. No it internet. Slid it right in. No clothes. Slipped it in. Yeah. I just casual. I'm like, wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. Like, did you say maybe no clothes? Yeah. Like, not this naked is a though. TV you know? show. So this is going to be, it's not just naked in the woods. It's naked in the woods with like camera a crew. Camera. Yeah. yeah. Crew or single camera? Well, it was normally like, you know, like a, the camera guy and like the sound guy, maybe a producer. Yeah. Um, min, you know, minimal people. Micing up the lab mic must have been very challenging at that point. <sighs> right? Like, <laughs> I don't even know what that looks like. What does sound guy do? Oh, it's probably just a boom mic, right? Like, No. Well, you have a mic in that little necklace. Oh. Yeah. But then they got to come and change your batteries and you're like, they're all up in your space and it's kind of like weird. Like an audio guy's. And yeah. that audio guy is probably like, you know, normally it's already awkward, like getting up in like the shirt and stuff like that. It's like, well, I guess I'm just going to go up and change the batteries on this nude woman that's starving to death. Or in the nude man. Or yeah, nude, nude man know. too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not just women. Well, it, but it's crazy because everyone's like, oh, it must be great to be a camera guy on that See, show. Like, first of all, no. But second of all, like, you know, guys are really awkward when they're naked and surviving. Like, I will tell you that. So that brings up a good point. Because like I said, you're the second person I've interviewed now that has been yeah. on the show. Both people, females. I have some very specific male-centric questions about what it's like to be on that show, <laughs> particularly things that um, don't stay the same shape and size I in different weather conditions. I have full information about that. So. so can you relay a little bit of like the male experience there then? I'm, Absolutely. I'm I mean, how graphic do you want me to be with this? Because it's definitely a concern for men. I mean, it's really... I, makes me feel I think really as lucky. long as you're not using anatomically correct verbiage, like if you just say people, yeah, yeah. like I think that's probably okay, great. That well, works, right? I can be even more vague than that. But basically, like they're very scared that there will be judgments, mm-hmm. especially like one of my partners, when I met him, he was literally dragging his pee-pee. <laughs> See, it's funny when you it's say funny it. funny when I say it. Yeah. He was dragging it through I'm the snow. I'm four years old. <laughs> I'm literally a top, like, my humor has not evolved past kindergarten. Mine either. Um, yeah, it, it was dragging through the snow. So like, poor guy. Well, walking? You know? Yeah, because we were dropped off in like waist-deep snow. Oh, okay. In Alaska. Like, Jesus, this guy. Yeah. yeah, so like, wow. poor guy. Like, yeah. I mean, good for him for like, doing it because yeah. that's intimidating. But um, yeah, I think there was a lot of concern and then there's like concerns that it will be smaller and then there's concerns that sometime it might be bigger. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right? And like, there's cameras around. There's cameras around. But you know what? Like, first of all, the first day, they're so nervous, like mm-hmm. not really happening. And yeah. then um, as time goes on, your body through starvation shuts down any thought that you might have mm-hmm. and any capability of that changing. Yeah. So your body just is like, it's not a good time to breed. Like we are yeah. shutting that off. It's not happening. We need You're to not... focus on food and water. Totally. So yeah. it's like not even, I mean, from the guys I've talked to, it's not even a possibility with the exception 
of one time, I won't say when it was, but I was out there in a group situation and we had a big meal the night before and the guy woke up the next morning and like woke us all up and was like, you guys, you'll never believe what happened this morning. We were all like clapping and really excited for him. And this is every man's like nightmare. (laughs) Like this is like... I'm in a survival, like this is a nightmare. Like I'm a man and I wake up in a survival situation and then everybody claps for my boner. <laughs> like that is absolutely horrific. It was a sign that we were doing well. So we were all excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> this is so interesting. See, like it's, it, I mean, yeah. and I think that's why the show did well, right? It's like such an interesting format. Yeah. And everybody is thinking the same thing totally. that we think as far as like how, why, what, like all, all yeah. these, all these things. Um, and then ultimately you realize that it doesn't even matter because you're actually out there surviving. You know, and my yeah. concern was that it was going to be sexualized in any sort of way. Cause like, that's not my MO. And going out there and finding out like, okay, for us, it did not, like, it is not that. You know, it's not like some romantic getaway with a naked person. Like you're like surviving and it's real. And for the viewer, I think it comes across the same way because Mm -hmm. at first you tune in, you see like that name come up and you're like, oh my God, this is like, what? You know, it's shock value. But then you watch it and you're like, oh, I I was worried. Like I do a lot of work with kids Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I don't want to be known for like the naked, like how awkward is that? You know? Yeah, 100%. Totally inappropriate. But it's, Really, I mean, it's just, that's your essential, like your first line of shelter is your clothing. So you take that away, it mm-hmm. makes it more real. And it, it, they did a great job of making that come through, I think, in the show. I would not want to be the blur guy though. Man, editors, the things they go through, they're mm-hmm. the real MVPs yeah. in any situation. Yeah. The things that get cut out of before it reaches that final product, the conversations Ooh. they have to suffer through. I even think about some of the things that I've said on camera. I'll talk to the editor. Sometimes like my trick, but I'm like, like I'll just talk to the editor and please cut know. this out. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm such a shit bag. And oh well, I did mean that joke. I didn't mean that. Like, just don't judge me. But also, uh, yeah, I, I go into like deep. Who's the fucking crazy one now? <laughs> yeah. You can't out crazy me. No, I think that I think that's accurate. I don't know for sure. I've only known you for like three days at this point, to be fair. Yeah. You seem like a very nice, pleasant person. I wouldn't peg you on upon meeting you as like, oh, chick who goes into wilderness and survives because yes. Because awesome. Because I like sticks and can fit in. I can fit in with the trees. Mm. They're good listeners. Blending. Wouldn't I wouldn't pick that up from you necessarily. So I do think it is super interesting that you've got you lead this very specific very off-the-beaten-path life. Um, but I still shave my armpits. So that... See, this is... <laughs> this is interesting, though, right? Like, why does the person who goes into the wilderness for 30 days at a time, toenails falling off, skin falling off, hair in a... What do you call it? A beaver tail? All this other <laughs> yeah, stuff. Like, talking to the trees. But that same person is like, but also, I don't prefer hair in my armpits. Right? I don't know. Hair in the armpits is uncomfortable. Yeah. It's just like when you're used to not having it. It's just like, it's a personal thing. But I would imagine you get used to having it in 30 days out in the wilderness. Or is that like the first uh, thing that you come back to civilization and like fucking hair is coming off? Oh, hair comes off. It's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like for that sure. that shower, that first shower. Oh, the first shower is great. Like you start yeah. to appreciate those aspects. And I think when like, I'm out there, I'm in such a state of psychosis. But honestly, it's kind of embarrassing. I have literally brought 
like razors into the wilderness when I'm by myself and I know I'm not going to see anyone. And it's not because I'm like uncomfortable with the fact that I have armpit hair. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't like it. So I just, you know, just fair enough. Yeah. It's cool. You have like a five minute break. It feels really luxurious. You're in like a freezing cold stream, shaving your armpits. It's kind of, kind of a nice thing. Yeah. I mean, it just kind of goes to show that people that go into the woods to, you know, sort of be one with nature for 30 days. It's not a monolith, you know, it's like, you know, there's, I, I imagine there are some people that do do what you do. I mean, it's just a very small group of people that you, <laughs> do you guys have like a, a Facebook group that you all get together in? And No, there's just, there's just three of us. Three Me, of you? my friend Dave, my friend Tyler. Those are the only three people I know that are psychotic enough to... To do this sort well, of thing. Well, to, you know, the so level. So did, did everyone on the show come in with it with your kind of level of primitive skills? Oh God, no. No. <laughs> yes. They were all like, incredibly oh, talented. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> and now, um, if you want to rephrase the question and be like, did they all did you did they all think that they were incredibly skilled? Okay. Okay. Um did, But you can say part of that really quietly, so I'm look like I'm being really flattering for everyone and not a completely judgmental person. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> so Well, I will say there's a lot of people that just haven't lived it. There's a lot of people that practice it or have done amounts of it in certain environments or certain controlled situations. But I put myself into really stupid situations a lot, which to their credit means they're probably more intelligent than me. And they had a better, they were better survivalists in the sense that they were not throwing themselves into the fire in the same way that I did because I probably should have died like a hundred times over. And they were just smarter than me. And that is kind of the name of like survival, survive being the operative. Yeah, they were making smart survival decisions by alive at the end of it. They were preventing a lot of stupid things that I got myself into because I was addicted to that kind of um, experience. So, yeah. Did you do multiple seasons of that show or? I did, I did it five times. Jesus. Yeah. You, you were really successful at it, right? Yeah. Made it to the end five oh, yeah. times. and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. But I mean, it wasn't by far, by far, not even close to the hardest thing I've ever done. What like, was that? What is the hardest thing you've ever done? Oh, I mean, going out by yourself in a completely uncontrolled, like uncontrolled environment, no safety net, no lifeline, no one checking up on you, extreme weather, potential storms, potential injury, occasional injury, you know, all these things that that happen when you're out there. And I mean, the list could go on and on about just different experiences I've had where I've gone out by myself and what what happens. I mean, and things come up and it's really hard. And mentally it can be really like, I mean, I've had situations where I've, you know, had close calls and you know that no one's going to find your body and you start to feel bad about the people that are never going to know where your body is. And it's getting dark really fast, but (laughs) you know, it's that to me, and I'm going to put myself in way more extreme situations than any producer is going to be comfortable with putting someone in and probably legally allowed to. 100%. And I think, I mean, one, I think it's interesting when people realize their own mortality and usually the only way you ever realize your own mortality is by putting yourself in these situations that you're not necessarily 100% certain, not that any, not that you or anybody that does these things is like suicidal, but there's certainly mm-hmm. choices that I'm sure many of us have probably made where we're like not 100% certain we were going to come out on the other side. 
Maybe mm-hmm. we were ninety percent. Ninety percent when you're talking about life and death is totally ten percent. You know, and, and so I think it's interesting to you know think about your own mortality in that way, and and how do you weigh? You know, I like doing this. I like challenging myself. And it's I like worth it. Pushing it to the edge. Yeah. And what is the measurement for like for worth it? Is it like if you were to just disappear into the the jungle somewhere, the woods somewhere, or the desert somewhere? Is that like is that a good death? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and this is, I think, really important is that I do these things and we've had these these talks this week in, the, in various ice shacks where conversations just really get deep and amazing. Um, but it's not because I have any sort of death wish. Like it's because I actually like want to live. You know, it's yeah. like I want to live and I want to experience. And to me, there's things that are worse than death. Like living a life of mediocrity where I'm not happy. Like I lived that through my whole childhood and I was so miserable. And it's like, when I started learning what being alive was and what it felt like, it's like, you know, I I say all the time, like I could live to be 150 and I would not have enough time to do a fraction of everything that I want to do. But at the same time, I could die tomorrow and have no complaints because I've gotten to do so much and live so much. And that's that's what I want to maintain all the time is I want to be at that level of just, pushing and experiencing and, you know, getting the most out of every second. Because at the end of the day, I could do all these stupid things and I could get hit on a, you know, in a car on my way driving, go to the airport tomorrow. Like there's, life is not, there's no certainties, right? We all know that, but like, how are you going to go and and not live your life when, um, you know, I, I think there's a line of putting yourself in stupid situations, but at the same time, I'm not going to not experience things because I'm scared. That's, yeah, it goes back to that whole, there's a difference between being alive and living, mm-hmm. you know, like living it being a, you know, a verb, mm-hmm. you know, like going out and fucking doing it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's like, I I don't think I could feel more sorry for somebody than the person who's never actually lived and gotten outside of the cubicle or off the couch or outside of their own um, comfort zone, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, re- I'm really happy. Yeah. Like I, as an adult, I'm like a very happy person. And the thought of, you know, what did that, like what created that change in my life, it's just, it keeps me, it keeps me going and it keeps me, you know, I always seek more. And I think I've, I think probably I'm just more aware of the times that I've almost died where I bet there's a lot of people who've had crazy close calls and they just don't even know. It's just mine are very dramatic because they're in my face and they're a, they're a parent. I mean, man, that just, uh, you know, thinking about just this week, the group of people that we have out here, it's like mm-hmm. you having these very extreme experiences and everything that you've experienced. Having, you know, you talk about deep conversations in an ice shack. I spent, um, you know, a lot of this week in an ice shack with a Medal of Honor recipient mm-hmm. and a dude who's in the invasion of Iraq. Like, you know, guys that I that I really look up to and the conversations we had. I also got to spend some time with my brother, you know, out there talking, being around Shay, who I, I actually, let's talk about Mike here a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, so a little bit of a backstory as narrated by me uh, <laughs> on Mike Shay. Mike came along right shortly, um, uh, shortly after the idea for Free Range American was launched in its current iteration. Um but prior to us launching like the website and everything, it was, it came along very early, but we post a job. We get this guy 
who turns in an application for um for our senior editor position and it's like okay he's got a college degree and then a masters from columbia he's uh he he's a reporter he's like um you know, there, there's words like Pulitzer found yeah, in there. Winning there's reporter. Yeah. Oh, worked at a newspaper, broke major stories, and then oh, figured out how to way to just you know get bylines in every major outdoor magazine, uh, hunting, fishing, adventure, and otherwise. Even though he didn't start years. hunting till he was an adult. Yeah, talks about skinning a deer in his bathtub in in Lower Manhattan or or wherever it was in Manhattan. I didn't hear at. that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, let's start there. Like, I've never done that. Yeah. That's story. amazing. Yeah, my my um first deer, I think I was I was 24 and uh you know, butchered it myself and got the meat all squared away and had this hide and didn't know what to do with it and I killed it in a place I couldn't regularly get to, so I had to take everything back to the city. So, <laughs> um I I had a tiny little apartment in uh Put a, got some tanning solution, just chemical tanning solution. I didn't get a brain or anything. And I t- got a laundry rack, like, you know, those wooden laundry racks, that, racks yeah. that fold down and set that up in the bathtub. And actually, I, I fleshed it out on the bathtub because as I, I know you know, like when totally. you're fleshing a hide, you need a hard smooth. post or yeah, something, something smooth to scrape against. So I scraped it against the bathtub and then I put that rack in there. I canned it in my bedroom floor because the bathroom was smaller than the deer hide. And uh, oh. then hung it in the shower and put put it through that process that way. And then I needed to dry it and I didn't know what to do. So I had a fire escape. So I actually went outside and I hung it on the fire escape. And as it's drying there, I walked outside to my building and looked up and there's a deer hide hanging. And I felt like I felt like the dream ending of Fight Club had actually happened oh, and yes. the city was in decay. And there was there was my deer hide and so wait, I, can we just like take it a step back to the part where you brought the deer? Like, so you had it in chunks. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Plastic bags, cloth bags. No, so I, I was a, I on the subway. A suitcase. Like, how did it get up the stairs? Like, were you leaving a dripping blood trail? Yeah. Like, yeah. So the 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 meat I processed in the field and got that vacuum packed and frozen. So that was just okay. a cooler up the steps. And then I had this like black contractor bag with like so the head. a body into an apartment. <laughs> yeah, 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 I was like, yeah, look yeah, yeah. curiously Take like a deboned vacuum, human body. Seal it, like, yeah, put it in a cooler. Yeah. No yeah. one will suspect anything. Yeah, yeah. I had this contractor bag with a head and a hide in it. And I was just Amazing. paranoid. I was going to get stopped by the by the police and have to explain this or have something, you know, somebody would, you know, it'd rip open and spill on the sidewalk. And then uh, you're getting the bleach well, along with the chemicals that you just brought up to your apartment. Obviously, I wasn't doing anything illegal, but it just, it was, it was a weird juxtaposition for sure. You would have had to defend yourself to anyone who saw what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But it was funny living in... um like where I lived, it was very, um, you know, it was, I, I led a inexpensive apartment. It was very, um, you know, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time, like didn't feel safe walking home at night through it. So I'd always walk home with her. And, um, I was started going on these trips cause I got the bug. I'd been duck hunting for a while before this, but that was the first big game experience. <laughs> so I, I ended up going to Canada and I shot a bear and uh, got a pretty good one and hit it, hit it with my bow <laughs> and got it on camera. I, I videoed it because I've always been into that, wanted that from the, from the jump. And I became friends with my neighbor. 
And he's like, oh, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I was in Canada. And I was like, actually, dude, you will never believe this. And I showed him the, the, the video of, of, oh. of, the, of the bear. And so for like from that time on, my street cred like changed. Like I'd walk Solid. down the street and like, Mike, show, show him the bear video, you know? And it was like, it became the thing to, to talk about in the neighborhood. So it was, it was, it was kind of cool. Everybody thought it was awesome. Everybody That's wanted to go cool. hunting. Everybody wanted to know about archery and guns and the whole world. So, um, you know, it, uh, it worked out, but it was it different. Did, yeah. It's not a, it's a, it was a different, like, let's go hunting story. I just like, like imagine mm-hmm. if you got mugged. Imagine yeah. being mugged and like you had like a bag and they open the bag and it's just full of like bloody parts. Yeah. Been kind of like, and actually, this is actually very valuable. See, actually, give me back my parts. I'm <laughs> insulted that you only want my wallet when I find deer meat here. Yeah. I have venison that you could feed your family with. Actually, sir, give me your wallet. Yeah. <laughs> how, so how does that translate into a writing career? <laughs> so I... um I got hooked on it. You know, like you said, I was a, I was a newspaper guy and newspapers were kind of falling apart. And I went to grad school and, you know, everyone was writing these, um, like personal essays and like doing the very literary thing. And I was like writing profiles on duck hunters. So they were like, who is this guy? You know? And, uh, but made some really good friends. And one of them came in and they said, uh, one of the magazines, the big outdoor magazines is needs an intern. So I just wrote uh, wrote a letter and said I'd I'd be perfect for this, and I got a call right back, and they were like, "You would be perfect. Come down." And so, basically, interned and then did have done like several things over the last ten or twelve years. But basically, I, I felt like I had that decision. Like I really liked covering the news and and politics and things like that. But man, like right from when I killed that first duck to like it just moved something, you know, I, I think the hunting thing, it's like in our bones, in our DNA. Cause I was like 24 when that first happened, but it was like an unlocking of something. Like I, I, I dumped this duck. I was in a blind, it came in and it was just, it was, it, it was, it was powerful, you know? And so I got to this point. So I chased that, you know, I wanted any opportunity to hunt, any opportunity to fish. And I always grew up fishing and doing outdoor stuff. Um, but, um, I just wanted to constantly do it. And here with this, I had this choice. I actually, it's kind of a funny story. I, after I became an intern, I wanted, uh, uh, I was applying for real jobs and I got a call. I applied for a job to be a front page editor at the Huffington Post. And then I applied for a job to be a video guy with Field and Stream and Outdoor Life. And within two days of each other, I got both jobs. And I remember nice. sitting there, That's I was actually, awesome. I was at my parents' house. And when it came in, it happened right after, after the holidays. And I just remember sitting there talking with them. And it was like, do I want to do the, 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 the professional thing, like the thing that I'm on the track for, or do I want to do the thing that I love the most in this moment? Which and, See, that's like everything. Like yeah. that decision and your ability to like not take the easy, comfortable route, like that speaks, like to me, that speaks volumes about who you are as a person yeah. because you could have just been like, well, comfortable mediocrity. Instead, you were like, no, like this is passion. I feel this. I want this more unknown. But I think like the ability to make that decision just is everything. Yeah. And I think like, like, at least for me, 
like when I chose like that freedom, like follow that, it it becomes almost like self-fulfilling because then all of a sudden all these other choices happen. So it was mm-hmm. like staff or freelance, you know, and it was always like a push towards freelance, a push more towards freedom, a push more towards doing it my own thing, like write the story that I want, not the story that's assigned. And so like anytime in like my career, there was a turn towards like, what am I going to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Like do the thing I want or do the thing for money, do the thing that's safe or do the thing that I love. I've just always kind of detoured that way. And, um, you know, and I think like in your case, at least I feel it in my case, I feel like it's, it's worked out, you know, like I get to travel around and hunt and fish and make content and, you know. I just, I, I love being able to drop into a place like I'd, I'd never spearfished before, right? So I knew Paul from, uh, it was a walleye trip, which was wild because I was in South Dakota in July fishing the same lake we're on now. And it was fucking 105 degrees. I remember just baking so in the weird. sun, no canopy. And we were talking about doing this. And uh, the Saturday, we, I arrived on a Sunday and Saturday it was negative 28, you know? And, uh, and it was, yeah, negative 28. And I remember thinking like, man, how is, how is this going to work? But so for all these years, almost, <laughs> almost 10 years, I think it was 2011, might've been 2012, last time I was here, I was like, I just want to see this spear fishing thing to, uh, to like crystallize it in my mind and then maybe tell other people about it. Because this is, it. Everybody knows ice fishing and like ice fishing is, uh, is it's, it's a known thing. You cut a hole, you put a tippet on, guys near me, they do it for perch and whatnot. But this is not that at all. Like this is, you go in and you auger your holes and then you have a saw and you cut like a car door sized hole in the ice, you know, or it looks like a big, like 60 inch television maybe. Yeah. And then you, you put a dark house over it so you're in pitch black. The sunlight is coming through the ice and shining up on you. They call it Norwegian TV, which is which is freaking perfect. So accurate. In order to be effective at this, you have to those fish swim under you for a second. So you have to you have to watch that like it's the most captivating television you've ever seen. And then when when the fish comes in, you got to get the spear. You got to line up the spear. You got to throw it. I mean, honestly, for me, and, and I remember Paul saying this back in the day, like it is the archery whitetail equivalent of fishing because it's mm-hmm. exactly like bow hunting whitetail where like you have to make a decision. If tree stand hunting, I'm going to sit in this tree and I'm going to commit to this spot on the chance that the deer I'm after is going to walk into this this field. Like I've set the mouse trap, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I want this deer that I'm after to be in here at inside 40 yards. And maybe it's, um, maybe I'm on a bedding area because of the time of day, maybe because of the season, I'm on this food source or that food source, but I've kind of constructed this mouse trap, and it's like, okay, I got to play it out. And now it's like a patience game. And it's like an inside game. Like, well, I thought he should be here before. I thought he'd be here sooner. Why isn't he here yet? There's only 15 minutes left. And you got to deal with all of that. Well, this is this is like the ice fishing equivalent of it because we've set the mouse trap, and that's it. We got that, what is it? It's like fucking four feet by yeah. two feet maybe. Probably, and yeah. you And you just got to watch it, you know? We have our rattle trap, so we're making noise. And then we have our grub and we're... We're, we're, um, we're, 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 
what are we doing? Working that, I guess yeah, you'd say. It. Yeah, yeah, making it dance. Your grub technique was A plus, you oh, know? Thanks, I, I really, I, yeah. really enjoyed that. Yeah. Really like just got into the brain of the grub, I think. You got the got the grub to look like it was swimming, you know? So you're, but you're basically, you're, <laughs> you're basically- it's hidden talent. Yeah, <laughs> hidden talent. Good at. <laughs> that actually, of all the things that impressed me this week, it was your ability to <laughs> jig the grub correctly. Um, but, we've had some uh, exceptional experiences. <laughs> so we've got your, Laura, your ability to jig the grub. <laughs> we've got, uh, we've got Paul who nailed a pheasant from like, 80, 90, 100 yards or mm-hmm. something like that. I don't know, what was it, 45? Yeah, 40, 40. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fast Imp- bird crossing, great impressive shot. Impressive shot. Yeah. Uh, Racy had like two shots in almost, I mean, it was dark. Like when the mm. sun isn't directly overhead, it just gets hard. And it was like last few minutes of shooting light and both days, nailed it. Crazy. Yeah. And then Jack pulling in a monster bass Monster bat, like, monster walleye, <laughs> a monster walleye. What we were saying, probably six, seven pounds. I don't think we got an official measurement on it yet, but he's going to put it on a wall. I think. Yeah, it was big. the The big show who we all came to love. The oh, big show. I, I who love the big show. Guided on this water and like fishes every day of the year. Like walked in and saw it and was like, "Who caught that?" He mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, last time I caught one like that, I think it was." I think it was three years ago, you know? It's like a real slammer, you know? Yeah, yeah. three years ago for a guy who fishes every single Every day. day. Every day yeah. there's open water. Yeah. yeah, like that's, it's really impressive. Um, and just, you know, speaks to the overall experience. And yeah, that you bring up the weather. Like I try to tell people, like I said, I grew up an hour and a half east of here and um, actually, you know, spent a lot of my summers on this river and uh, I, I love this place. It's beautiful. You see the sunrise, the sunset. The, it's, it's absolutely incredible. But the freaking weather, man. Like, what other place do you go to that has literally 150 degree temperature swings throughout the year? Going from negative 40, negative 45 sometimes up to 105, 106, 107 in the summertime. Yeah, they're talking about... Um, 40 degrees here next week. So mm-hmm. in under two weeks, you're talking about like oh, a Tuesdays. 70, 80 degree yeah. swing. It's incredible. It's Thursday yeah. night, Tuesday, two, Thursday night, and it's still hovering around zero, probably with the lows tonight. On Tuesday, they're calling for a high of 52. 52. Oh, yeah, yeah. On oh, Tuesday. Crazy. Yeah. Like, crazy. What, what planet? <laughs> like, what Keeps the it hell? interesting. Yeah. They better, um, they better get those shacks off the ice. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, yeah. So I, I think it'd be kind of cool, just like you know, between the two of you, you've had very, both very passionate about the outdoors, very passionate about hunting, fishing, all this stuff. For both of you, what's the most memorable thing you've ever done or experienced outside in the pursuit of these things we do? Oh God, you want to go first? Cause oh, that's gonna take a minute. Yeah. Ooh, that's a... you, you take a you take take a pot shot here, okay? This question is the fish that's coming in five minutes before it's too dark, okay? You're I know, I really slipped. Throw slip that in spear, there. okay? Throw that spear, let's see if it hits. I feel like we're in a, we're in a what battle was the now. Most memorable. That's yeah, there's so gotta hard. be that moment. Well, you mm. you know, you talked about that first. What was it? Duck. I, I have I have one. I have one that always sticks out because when I was a new um, I was a new archery hunter 
And there was this ribbon woods behind my parents' house and there's a cornfield there. And it's literally a deer track that goes through there. And so I was a new bow hunter and I knew I could go in there and, and just shoot some does and like fill the freezer. And I was like, this is going to be a layup. And I went in there and the, I thought the wind was right. And I mean, they pegged me. They blew me out. I thought the wind was good. I was like, what is, what is going on here? And then they, they, I, they, they backed out. So I waited for another change of wind and I went and I set up. Well, anyway, make a long story short. I ended up hunting it in like every different condition I could think of. And these deer just pegged me, you know? So I was doing something wrong. And then I finally figured out that the, I needed to be closer to the field. So the thermals in the field would pull all my wind away. I need to be really high in the tree. And like when it all came together, after like a season of fucking this up, it all came together. And then it happened and it was like, I was invisible. And I probably saw like 15, 20 deer at like seven yards, like just filter right under me. And so to like do the thing wrong and have to trial and tweak and figure it out and make it work. And then finally like get to that point. I don't even know if I shot a deer that first sit. Ended up ended up taking a lot out of there eventually once I had it dialed. But it was just like, holy shit. Like this, that to me was the, 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 um, the moment where I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. This is this figuring this out, like bow hunting. Like I felt like I figured it out. So anyway, that's, that's one. But I honestly, I mean, you know, I'm sure you, oh, you yeah. there's a hundred of them like oh that. We have those moments. And I think that's what part of what you're going out there for, you know? Yeah. Because you never, you can never plan them. Like a lot of them are just so out of nowhere. I mean, I remember two, two things. And one of them is, is my first elk antler, which was really, it meant a lot to me. But, you know, I had this one point in time where I was walking back like through a field to where I was camped, didn't have a light, was out past dark, blah, 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 making my way back to like the tree line I knew that had silhouetted trees in a certain way, but I couldn't see anything. And it was really cloudy, really stormy. So no, no moon to kind of guide by other than like this faint silhouette that was slightly darker than the rest of the sky. And I'm just focused on that line and the horizon so that I know where to go to head to camp. And I'm making my way through and like, you know, when you just feel like something's not right, like it's a soundscape thing. So, you know, like there's a landscape, but there's a soundscape. And like the way the sound is hitting off of stuff, like when that shifts, you know, something happens in the, in the sound. So I'm walking and something just feels weird. And then I just get that like, okay, sound, like the river was way back there, but now like it sounds different and I don't know why. And I'm in a flat field. So like, what's it bouncing off of? And I had ended up walking into the middle of a herd of elk. And I don't know like why they didn't spook, whatever. Anyway, I just had walked out. It was like a, an old airstrip and there was just a ton of elk grazing there. And I just managed to be in the middle of them. And at that moment, and I kind of was like trying to like look above them and see out of the corner of my eye if that was what it was. But then they all started running. And there's just elk running past me and I can't see them. And it was like, you could just feel it and like the wind. And I mean, there's just, elk like running super close to me and I thought I was going to get hit and die from an elk that I couldn't see that was going to like run into me. And it was terrifying. And only time it's ever happened, hasn't happened since. And um, it was just like, you know, you think you're going to die some glamorous way, like a massive 
predator or something fancy. And then it's like, a you know, cow elk running. Do you think you would die? I don't think I'm going to die a glamorous way. Like, I'm pretty convinced yeah. that like... Like trip on a bunny and like... I'm 100% that person that's going to like get stuck in an elevator. And then just they're not going to be able to get the elevator unstuck in time. And I will just like die of starvation. Drinking your own urine and like just the total Or I'll be out on like a casual hike in like a a small state park. And it's completely tame. But I'll twist an ankle or break a leg and then just not be found. Oh. And I'll die like literally it'll be like two miles to civilization but I couldn't hue glass myself away fast enough, you know? Like, that's the way... <laughs> the stress like causes constipation and you poison your own body. Yeah. yeah. Like, my track record is, like, I will die in the most unglamorous, most ridiculous... Oh. Probably one of the things... Like, I imagine the first line of whoever delivers my eulogy will be like, we all kind of saw this coming, didn't we, with Marty? <laughs> you know? Whatever this is. We knew gonna, it would be something dumb. We we knew it would be this. So yeah, I don't... I think that both of you have a very high chance of glamour and death. No, I don't though. Like, I feel like everyone else in the woods thinks they're going to die from like... I mean, how many people are scared of grizzly bears? People are terrified of them. And I'm not saying they don't deserve respect. Anybody that's got any common sense. Absolutely. But yeah. it's always like people enter the woods and if it's in an area where there's grizzlies, 100% of the time it's like... I saw a speck of brown. It was a grizzly bear charging me, you know? And it's yeah. like, well, like, it's not always that. But I yeah. feel like that's what everyone is assuming is happening at every single moment. Maybe that's just the people I've talked to. Yeah. I mean, death by grizzly bear would be pretty glamorous, though. Yeah, not for you, but, you know, for people who tell your story. I'll tell you what, though. Being close to a grizzly bear, and I haven't had nearly as close an encounter as some people, but... You feel it. You real that predator prey relationship switches quick, the wind, and it's like the wind turns around. The wind turns, and you're going, "Oh boy!" Yep. You know, you there's know, not how- much I can do in this situation. I just I hope this plays out. There's some stuff you can do, you know, but that's not the that's not the lightning bolt feeling at the time when you're looking at <laughs> right. Mama Grizzly staring at you, and her two cubs just ran in front of you, and it's like, oh, really did it this time. Yeah, this is not going to work. <laughs> But it's crazy to me because we're one of the only animals that only experiences that seldom, if ever. You know, like we're pretty much top of the food chain most of the time. And so when those roles switch for a second and you're vulnerable, like think about all the other species and how often they feel that moment of terror, you know? (laughs) I just think that's so interesting. Yeah, it's so easy, right? Like humans, it's like, man, it takes a lot. Like we have catastrophe happens like well I guess I'll take my cell phone out and take a video exactly whereas animals the are like bears charging them and they're they're you know still taking pictures they 100% I 100% believe that there are people in this world that would be out hiking with like a friend or their partner or whatever and that their friend or partner would get attacked by a grizzly bear and their only reaction would be like well this will be great for the gram. <laughs> I'm going to you know? get something to go viral there's actually I think a guy who died who went back to look at a bear with his cell phone in his hands. Like people were coming out. I forgot where that was, but that's that was a story a while ago. And they were like, no, 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 there's a bear. And he's like, I got this with my my cell phone. I, um, just like the, mm-hmm. the lack of a healthy respect, uh, I think gets people in a lot of trouble. I um I interviewed a guy for a story forthcoming still, but uh, he got attacked by a bear while out elk hunting on Kodiak Island or one of the islands around Kodiak Island. But... 
ran into a bear f- five yards away, literally not even enough time to do anything, immediately charged him as soon as he saw the thing, gets pretty fucked up. Like, the fact that, so he's a military guy, um, like, he had people with him who had medical knowledge and they probably, you know, did a lot to save his life. And of course, I think the Coast Guard came in and, you know, airlifted him out and everything like that. But like, like yeah, pretty fucked up. He came back like two years later and like was like, no, I'm going to go in there and fucking kill a grizzly bear now. Like, like you would think after such a traumatic experience and the guy like had chunks of flesh missing like this, he got fucked up. Um, comes back, you know, not too long later, you know, a couple years and, uh, and goes back out. And this time he's like, he's not hunting for elk this time. He's hunting for grizz. And like, not just like going driving around. Like he was like, I'm like, kind of like you, like I'm going to go up in the mountains. I'm going to live there until I come back with the fucking grizz or not the mountains and Kodiak, but like I'm going into the fucking woods, into the bush. And I'm not coming out until I, I've got this thing. And the same sort of thing happened where he was thought it was hunting one thing and ended up happening across another this time at seven yards. Um, but it didn't see him this time. But can you even imagine after having already been completely fucked up by a bear and now being seven yards away from seven yards is nothing. I'm so curious. Like, did he have the moment where he was like, Oh fuck, like what have I done? Or was he like, I'm in it. I'm so curious. Now I, I think want. it was a little bit of both. And um, like I said, I haven't, I interviewed the guy. I haven't written the story yet. People should definitely be checking out free range American.us. Mm-hmm. little plug here. We're That's the yeah. sort of stories we're doing. Um, that one's going to be coming sooner than later. But uh, yeah, I don't remember the exact details of like exactly what he felt in there. Yeah. We definitely talked about that. But um, but I think that's almost like a metaphor, right? So like a, a bear attacks you, like you get knocked down and you get healed. Like, what are you going to do? You either got to go wrestle the fucking bear or like live in terror of bears, mm-hmm. you know? And so like, what's your, what's your choice? You got yeah. to. Yeah, I mean, it, it, to my mind, you know, yeah. the, the alternative isn't to be like, well, I'm off the wilderness. No more wilderness <laughs> yeah. for me. Home then the bear line. won. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got the bear it. lost the first. The bear definitely won the first time when it fucked you up. But then it wins again <laughs> if you never go back outside again, you know? Right, and then he goes to a zoo and like a grizzly bear breaks out and eats him there. And he's like, man, really could have turned the tables on that one. Man, that's the story I want to write. <laughs> If anybody out there can go nonchalantly get attacked by a bear and then die by the hands of a completely different bear within a confined human enclosed, like, yeah, that would be amazing. Just saying. These are the stories that we really need. <laughs> like, local bear hunter dies at zoo. Yeah. <laughs> local, Irony. Local bear hunter slash victim dies, doesn't learn his lesson first time, goes to zoo, gets killed by bear. It's like a Final Destination (laughs) storyline or something. Oh, yeah. By the way, Final Destination. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I refuse to drive behind logging trucks now. I have never seen it. And someone once described that from me. And I thought it was a real story. So I have also been terrified, like, secondhand. Yeah, I've had people say to me, didn't you see Final Destination? I'm like, just, no, I want to, I got to pass this fucking guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's um I didn't watch the there's like multiple that you know, like everything they do, it's like there's even moderate success with the first one when you gotta make 15 of them. Um so I didn't watch all of I saw the first one though. Um actually in high school I was that was a different story. I had like a girlfriend thing going on. Anyways, we thought watching Ooh. horrific ways to die was like a good romantic way to Yeah, because then like you, she yeah. gets scared and cuddles. Is that the wasn't that sort of dynamic? 
Uh, <laughs> All right. It sounds like a whole road. Pick the winners back then. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> but I watched the Dave first one. I was like, I can't watch any of these other Final Destination movies. Otherwise, I will be literally afraid to Do leave anything. my house. Yeah. And even in my house, there's probably one that was like horrible. You know, they, the theme is like horrible things, you know, like your fucking dishwasher attacks you and drowns you or something. I think someone showed me you know? a scene. I don't know if this was Final Destination or what, but I feel like someone once showed me a scene where there was a girl burning in a tanning bed being stuck there. I thought it was Final. That seems about... I don't know. That's so definitely you know, you can literally be scared par. of everything. Like we're sitting yeah. next to this little space heater right now. Like what if that thing just, you know, yeah. lights us on fire? And that's the thing is I can what if something to death, you know? Well, see what I did there? Not even on purpose. What if it's a death? Uh, <laughs> the the I don't want to put all these possible any more than I've already got in my head. I don't want to put those additional things in my head. It's like okay, I already can't drive behind logging tr- trucks now because of that first movie. What else is going to be thrown into the mix that I can't? You know, were, no, were I'm you now scared by Jaws? to do. Did Jaws mess you up as a kid? I never um, saw it. But No, because as you can see in South Dakota, we're an extremely landlocked. I don't think you can get more landlocked than well, South sure, Dakota. sure, but if you go in an ocean, like you've been in an ocean, like what happens? Not at the time that I saw Jaws, though. Oh, but no, but I mean, I know people who saw Jaws as a child and literally refuse oh. as adults to get in the ocean. No, I don't, like, I don't think it had that impact on me. I'm definitely afraid of dinosaurs, though. Oh, well. Jurassic Park, um, that had an impact. I mean, Jaws, yeah. not so much. But it's funny, I live in New Hampshire now, like Cape Cod, where Jaws is based. Is right. Just right over there. And there is actual shark attacks that happen there. Right. Like sharks fuck people up. Um, but you're looking in your kitchen for velociraptors. 100%. Yeah. Um, also, yeah, geez. Um, so I need to lose some weight because it's always like the fat guy that, that, that dies in these movies, you know? And like dinosaurs go for the guy that is like kind of let him sc- let himself go and embrace the dad bod a little bit too much, you know? I don't, and, the lawyer was pretty skinny. He got eaten right off the bat. Well, at some point, yeah. Yeah. That well, fucking you know, lawyers. Right. I know. Uh, I don't Sister. have anything against lawyers, but I feel like that's the position I should take on lawyers. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. Anyways, heck of a conversation, guys. Yeah. We really, you know, we talked about spear and fish. We talked about, you know, being really cold. We talked about being naked and being really cold. And uh, and now we know where I stand on lawyers. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, <laughs> final destination. Yeah, this is, this has been great. Um, what uh, you know, Laura, what what do you got going on next? Like, you know, we're we're just now wrapping up the South Dakota trip. What do you got going on next, and where can people follow you? Great question. Um, I have some really exciting stuff happening, and I'm gonna be able to talk about that soon. But it's it's gonna involve Carbon TV. Um, and it will all be public on Instagram. I'll, I really keep pretty up to date with what's happening in my life on there. So. Um, I'll be I'll be filling everyone in on Instagram where I did. <laughs> I did all the vowels. Words are hard after you've been They're ice fishing so, all day. They're so hard. Um, at Laura Zara on Instagram, and that's really where you know. So all the cool kids. Where I live. That's where I live. At Laura Zara on Instagram, you got some cool stuff coming up. Yep. Just um, really excited. Really great to meet you this week. By the way, really great to meet you. Yeah, it was I'm- super fun. Yeah, it had a blast. And I think we have to thank, you know, a little tip of the hat to Mike Shea over there. He's the one that made this trip happen, yeah. brought it uh, to our attention. And um, 
Yeah, Mike, what do you got going on and where can people follow you? Uh, Free Range American, you know, I'm at at there, uh, freerangeamerican.us, little Instagram and Mm -hmm. yeah, just doing doing the website thing. Yeah, you've got some incredible articles that you put out. He did, he did a really great piece. I really encourage people to uh, to go read on the whole Jim Jones um, culture. You know, when he went down to, uh, what was that, Illinois, and got your ass kicked for yep. a weekend? Yeah, I pretty much got beat up for three days. Yeah, yeah. He, he's uh, he did a great piece on hunting antelope out in eastern Colorado. Yep. yep. Um, western, and, western Colorado. Oh, western yep. Colorado, yep. yeah. yeah. Um, and there's just other really cool stuff like that going on. Like we we genuinely have some great, great stories going up on that. So I highly encourage everybody to check that out. And uh, yeah, I think that's all we got for now. I think we're all pretty smoked from the, the pheasant hunting, the fish killing. Exhausted. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you know, until next time, uh, we'll see you guys later. Yeah.